Stored in carriages, prams, buggies, and pushcarts, daintily decorated. The Outline World Dispatch. Monday, June 12th, 2017. I'm William Turton. Today on The Dispatch, and Derek Gallo on American Ninja Warrior. Elite sports are gendered, but American Ninja Warrior suggests they don't have to be. Jordan Offlinger on racist mascots. S-291 would prohibit the use of any Native American mascot by a public school in Massachusetts. And Adrian Jeffries on why the NSA leak didn't make a dent. We are now getting the sense that Russia is pretty determined to fuck with our democracy. Here's the dispatch. Culture. On a recent episode of American Ninja Warrior, competitor Jessie Graff became the first woman in the history of the show to complete stage two of its notoriously difficult obstacle course. Jessie Graff, we called her Wonder Woman. She is truly a hero. I'm out of here. Making history again. She hits the buzzer on stage two. First woman ever to do so. It was an historic moment on the show and an exciting one for ANW's approximately six million viewers. But Graf's accomplishment reflects the failings of the rest of the sports world, even though her sport is barely included in that world at all. Like most sports, American Ninja Warrior runs in seasons. But unlike most sports, it began as a TV show. Welcome back to American Ninja Warrior's USA versus the World competition. Each season of ANW, a spin-off of the Japanese show Sasuke, features a group of competitors trying to make it through a series of entertaining but strenuous obstacle courses that get progressively harder with each episode. And thanks to its televised origins, the competition itself falls somewhere between sports and reality TV. Despite its hazy genre, or maybe because of it, ANW is doing something that so many professional sports leagues are unlikely to have even seriously considered, eschewing gender segregation. Jesse Graff completes stage two. Not history. History has just been made. When it comes to adults in sports, mixed gender competition is reserved for the unserious and the amateur. A company softball team, a neighborhood kickball league, a friendly ultimate frisbee club. But gender integration rarely exists in quote-unquote serious sports like basketball, baseball, and soccer. When it comes to that category, where the high physical ability required is taken for granted, a woman beating or simply competing against a man is treated like a sensation. Only on a reality competition show would something so potentially scandalous take place. No matter what color your skin is, and no matter what gender you are, we're all ninjas. We are witnessing history! There was no real gendered prestige to lose, like in, say, the NFL, because it was never there in the first place. American Ninja Warrior returns Monday, June 12th on NBC. The show started on the tech network G4. There, it was hosted by television personalities, But now in its ninth season, and its sixth on NBC, its on-screen hosting cast includes a sports analyst and a sports reporter. Oh, look at this technique. You see how she's using the counterbalance? Competitors are regularly covered on ESPN.com, and the success of the show has prompted ANW-inspired gyms and even the establishment of an amateur competitive league. Reality TV's experiments with gender lines are rarely good. Remember a shot at love with Tila Tequila? Uh, yeah, give me what I need. 
but American Ninja Warrior has the right idea. And thanks to the example set by competitors like Jesse Graff, Casey Catanzaro, and Megan Martin, more and more women are applying to compete. Even if the gender representation of the competitors starts to balance out, some people will insist that athletes like Graff are outliers, that there aren't that many women out there that can compete at such high levels with men. But Graff is a professional stunt actor and can support herself while training to be in top physical shape. Because of pay inequality, even professional women athletes are forced to divert their focus away from their sport to find ways to get by. So it's easy to understand where the disparities lie, and it's not with women's athletic abilities. Is A&W a sport? Who cares? It's an athletic competition born solely out of the desire to make profitable television that somehow still manages to be more socially progressive than professional capital S sports. What do you think this says for women and the rest of the competition as the years go on, the fact that you were able to complete this stage? What does that say? It says we can do anything. That's the number of schools in Massachusetts that use Native American-themed imagery, names, or slurs to represent themselves or their sports teams. The question of whether or not organizations and institutions should portray Native people as mascots seems to have an obvious answer. Don't do it. Still, in 2014, 538 reported that over 2,000 U.S. sports teams still had names referencing Native Americans, including epithets like the Redskins and the Savages. But a new bill being considered in Massachusetts may bring that number down and bolster the argument against the offensive practice. S-291 would prohibit, quote, the use of any Native American mascot by a public school in the Commonwealth. And if it passes, 37 schools in the state may have to change their school or sports team's logos, names, and mascots. MassLive.com reports that the Massachusetts Teacher Association has come out in favor of the bill. But both Republican Representative Mark Lombardo and Democratic Representative Jim Maselli oppose it. With positions in the bill crossing political and cultural lines, there's a tough fight ahead for something that should be a given. Power. You may remember that last week, a leaked NSA document said Russia hacked U.S. voter systems. So why didn't anyone care? Adrienne Jeffries is here now. She looked into it. Hey, Adrienne. Hey, William. This big intercept scoop dropped on Monday, and it featured a leaked NSA document. Yes. Something we don't see all too often. Yes. It was a very recent NSA document, too. And it was the first... NSA document we've seen that definitively pointed the finger at the GRU, the Russian intelligence unit. It's def- it's the first evidence that we've seen really that Russian government hackers attacked the U.S. voting infrastructure. So that's like voting machines, local election officials, the actual mechanism that, that the voting happens with. Whereas in the past, all the intelligence agencies have said we've identified Russia as the source of the hacked emails at the Democratic National Committee. We have evidence, you know, we've talked before about how we're pretty sure that it was Russian state hackers who messed with the candidates 
during the campaign. But this is the first public evidence that they actually may have tried to tamper with the results, like go in and, you know, change a zero to a one or something. Right. So that sounds pretty interesting, but we didn't really hear a whole lot about it. Why it is that? does sound really interesting. And it's something that people had talked about the possibility before because the U.S. election system is not set up to be very secure against cyber attacks. It's not it's hack-proof. Just, it's not hack-proof at all. It's not even hack-conscious. It was not designed <laughs> with the idea that anyone would ever do this. Right. We are now getting the sense that Russia is pretty determined to fuck with our democracy. It seems like it, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, what the NSA document that was leaked showed was that there was a an effort to breach one voter software system and then spear phishing emails sent to 120 email addresses that were associated with local elections officials. The report didn't show that they were actually able to change votes, which no, probably not at all. In been... fact, the, the report said that no voting machines were breached. Right. But still, a very interesting and fascinating story. Yes. Everyone's really interested in this Russian narrative, but it didn't get a lot of mainstream pickup. Yeah, I think that's because of human nature. I think there's like a sweet spot before a crisis happens when you can kind of get people to do something about it. But most of the time, the teachable moment comes after a big crisis. And in this case, the crisis wasn't there. It wasn't big enough. (laughs) And then there's one other thing, which is that there was a very distracting side story to all of this where the person who leaked this NSA document turned out to be this 25-year-old contractor. She was a fan of Edward Snowden, and she got caught right away. And the Department of Justice announced her arrest an hour, a couple hours after The Intercept posted this story. And so all of a sudden, everybody was focused on this 25-year-old blonde NSA contractor who had social media accounts, and we wrote about those. And that story was just so much more entertaining than this. We already knew we're not ready as a country to be scared enough about this threat to do anything about it. And then there's this other, like, spy story happening over here. I thought you made a really interesting point in your piece that when Edward Snowden did his leaks, for the first four days, we didn't know who was behind them. Right. So we could only focus on the content of the leak itself. Yeah, that seemed very planned. Um, the first story came out in The Guardian, and it was four days later. Right. You know, for four days, everybody was like, who is the source of these crazy leaks? But there was still a lot of reporting on the actual content of the leaks. Right. And that was and a strategic move. I by think Snowden. so, yeah. Right. Of course, also his leak was much bigger right. than Reality Winner's leak. but um, Just one document from Reality Winner. Right. So what's next for Reality Winner? Reality Winner is, has um, been denied bail. She has pled not guilty. What charges is she facing? She's being charged with gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information, which is a felony under the Espionage and Censorship Act. And how many years might she face? She's facing up to 10 years in prison. Oof. Yeah. So reality could end up going to jail for 10 years for a scoop that really didn't even get much traction. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you. That concludes The Dispatch. I'm William Turton. More stories tomorrow.